Welcome to The How of Business with Henry Lopez and David Begin, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here are your hosts. Welcome to this episode of The How of Business. This is Henry Lopez. My guest today is Anton Crayley. Anton, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Henry. I'm excited to have Anton. Great topic today. Uh, Anton is the founder and CEO of Dropship Lifestyle and e-commerce lifestyle. He focuses on empowering people through e-commerce and better marketing. He holds annual retreats for Dropship Lifestyle, and we'll talk about what that is. And he hosts live events for marketers and business owners. Since Anton was a young, or rather since he was young, he has uh, been uh, starting his own businesses, and we'll chat about that. Interesting entrepreneurial journey. Right after attending college, in fact, he explored physical businesses, brick and mortar businesses like uh, franchise gyms, but then he decided to open his own cookie delivery business in New York City. We'll talk about that. Uh, He expanded this cookie business, but then he grew tired of all of the problems with a physical business and we'll ask him specifically, but I can only imagine what those challenges are. And then after reading Tim Ferriss's book, The 4-Hour Workweek, he decided to go into e-commerce and discovered dropshipping. From there, he built his first seven-figure e-commerce store. Uh, With that success in e-commerce, he was asked by friends, as is typical, and family members, how how did you do it? And this gave him the idea to start Dropship Lifestyle. And after four years, he has taught over 5,000 students how to build their own dropshipping stores, allowing them to live their ideal lifestyles through e-commerce. Anton lives in Austin, Texas with his wife, Tao, and since 2016, rather since 2016, he's lived in Austin. He's also spent time in Vietnam and Thailand. So in today's episode, Anton's going to share his interesting journey, as I've already touched on briefly, to where he is today. And then we're going to do a deep dive on how to start a dropship business. So once again, Anton Crayley, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you. Really uh, appreciate that intro and look forward to sharing. Sure, absolutely. So how did you end up in Austin? So I actually was living in Vietnam for about four years. And when I was out there, I was pretty much doing the same thing we do now in terms of business. But we were growing our team and uh, kind of a funny story. There was a coffee shop that we used to work out of. The coffee shop went out of business and then we took over the lease. And basically, I had a coffee shop in the <laughs> of Saigon as our office and I was hiring people from, uh, from the States and they were coming out there, we were working from there. And then I realized a couple things, one of them being that we, uh, we aren't licensed to have a business in Vietnam. And another one is that if we really wanted to continue to grow the team and I was having people from the States anyway, uh, should come back. Uh, like you mentioned, I am from New York, but Austin sounded appealing because there's no winter and uh, there's a better tax situation. So that led to us uh, coming over here. Yeah, no doubt. So what took you from New York to Thailand and then Vietnam? Was was that part of what you were looking for in a way of freedom with uh, getting away from a brick and mortar business? Uh, Kind of. What took me originally to Thailand was... uh, 
kind of just I had sold a network of stores back in, a, about, I think it was like 2012, late 2012. And then in 2013, right around the same time that happened, my apartment lease ran up. I was leasing a car. My car lease ran up. And then I was thinking like, well, what do I want to do? Do I want to just you know, get a new place? Do I want to buy something? Like, where should I go? And then I thought, let me just book a ticket to Thailand. I'll go there. I literally went there with no plans. And I thought maybe I'll spend three weeks and just travel around the country and see what it's all about. And uh, that, that three weeks ended up being a three month trip originally wow. came back for about a week to the States to get my affairs in order then went back out there for about a year so um, really originally it was just supposed to be to explore to check it out but while I was there I ended up making lots of connections with other entrepreneurs that made me want to make it a more long-term thing and you met your future wife I believe yeah that was a few years a couple years later but that was once I had moved to uh, to Saigon yep I see well, that's wonderful. All right. So when you moved, you had already gotten into e-commerce, uh, had sold some businesses and decided let's, let's do something completely different. Yes. Yeah. Let's go back a little earlier then. So at, right out of college, is that when you looked at starting your own business or did you work somewhere before that? Tell me a bit about that. I've always worked hard and I've always worked because I always knew that I would get to a point where I wanted to open a business and back you know, in the day, I always knew I would need money to start a business because that's just how things traditionally work, right? It takes money to make money. So um, I worked throughout high school, throughout college. I mean, I was doing things like landscaping and construction. I was working every chance I could and I was saving money. And then in 2006 is when I graduated from school, upstate New York at SUNY Albany. And I thought, okay, it's, it's time, right? It's time to start this whole entrepreneurial journey. Because again, I, you know, for some reason, I thought I had to wait, realize now I could have started a lot earlier, mm -hmm. but I got out of school and I ended up spending all that money that I had saved up, which was about $25,000. And that was to buy a delivery route for a bakery in Brooklyn, New York. So that was my first business. Wow. Fantastic. Okay. So, so much there. When did you first decide uh, as a young person that you wanted to be your own boss? It was as long as I can remember. Uh, the reason being, so I, I grew up, I'm from Long Island. My parents are, you know, I'd say upper middle class, but my dad was a butcher. My mom did inside sales. So not wealthy, not poor, had a you know, nice house, good cars. But then one of my uncles, my dad's brother, um, who, you know, we were always close with, he was an entrepreneur and he still owns a, a pretty big business in Manhattan. And we would go to his house for Thanksgiving and for Christmas. And we still do. And I would realize from maybe I don't know, five years old, eight years old, that his house was bigger and that he had multiple of them and that he had sports cars and that he had boats. And I remember being this little kid and I asked him like, why do you have all this stuff? Um, like, what's like, why? What, what's, what's the deal here? And he basically just said when he was younger, he took a chance on himself and he left a good corporate job he had to start his own business. And he basically explained like, listen, if you ever want to have more you know, money that leads to material things, you know, you don't have to do it. But if you want to, I'm not smarter than your parents. I'm not better than your parents. I just went this route instead of getting a corporate job. So yeah. that just meant on, you know, being a little kid, I was like, okay, that's what I'm going to do. Didn't know how, but I knew I was going to figure it out. God, that's fantastic. What a, what a great uh, role model in addition to your parents, of course, mm -hmm. to have that close to you. And then obviously made such an impact on you early on. That's, that's fantastic. Why did you decide to go to college? Honestly, it was for the experience. Um, and I, I was, I don't want to say I was immature, but, you know, got out of high school. I think I was 17, yeah, I was 17 years old and I just had no idea what I was going to do. I really hadn't saved up much money at that point. And um, yeah, I, 
again, didn't have a plan. I saw a bunch of the movies that show what college is all about. So I was economical about it, went to a state school, spent about $3,500 a year, so nothing crazy. But yeah, more for the experience and giving myself more time to figure things out. Yeah. Did your parents want you to go to school? Uh, you know, it wasn't really, it's funny. They, they didn't pressure me one way or the other. I uh, never really got great grades when I was in high school. So it wasn't some big thing like, oh, where are you going to go? What are you going to do? I ended up going to a school on Long Island, actually, for my first, like, I think three semesters, uh, mm -hmm. SUNY Farmingdale. So I went there, again, gave myself a chance to see like what I wanted to do, what I should study. And um, just then that led me going to Albany. So no, no, no real pressure, though. Yeah, that's good. How how do you think now in business, what do you take from what you learned in school, if anything? And that's, I mean, mm -hmm. not trying to bash the school no, or, no. or schools in general, but I'm just curious, always curious, what do you apply now from what you learned in school, if anything? So I, I did study marketing and management, um, okay. some, like accounting classes. And I'll say the the basic like 101 level accounting stuff, a lot of those things still stick with me like as we're reviewing our numbers in business. Uh, a lot of the marketing, there, there's some very high level stuff, but what we do on a day-to-day -day basis, like in my businesses, like I don't wanna say it's not relevant, but it's just so much more technical than you'll ever learn in a school. So nothing from that side. Um, the biggest benefit was really out of, I think the, the connections. Uh, my first business partner ever was someone that lived down the hall from me when I first went away to school and uh, just got to like experience, I don't know, different people from different parts of the country. And I, I, again, yeah, I think mostly experiences, not any lessons as far as business or management go. Yeah, no, but those are big takeaways. Yeah. Learning how to get along with other people, yep. learning how to work with other people. Uh, and then the finance thing is, I think is a big deal because so many business owners I work with successfully even don't know the basics of financial statements. And so I think that was probably a big takeaway, like you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Um, okay, so you didn't go into owning a business with any particular fears or if you can put yourself back into that point mm -hmm. before you opened the cookie business, what were you afraid of, if anything? So I really, you know, had nothing to lose besides money, which sounds crazy, but like, you know, obviously money is something, but at the end of the day, I was like, okay, what can I get into that I can afford that I can then build up and then try to sell for, you know, three or four times what I bought it for and then do that again and again and again. So there wasn't really, I, I don't think there was any fear back then because I was young with 21 years old out of school and again, nothing but time on my hands. So I, yeah, I can't really say I was scared back then. Yeah. So did you end up successfully selling the cookie route business? I did. But what's interesting about that is that that business I had for maybe three months or so oh, when wow. that the four-hour work week came out. Yeah, and then that is what introduced me to the world of e-commerce. It's like one chapter of the book maybe, or maybe two chapters that talk about building a Yahoo store, which was the go-to e-commerce <laughs> platform back in the day, and talked about using Google ads. So I thought, okay, let me try this. I spent a weekend, built a website called NewYorkCookieShop.com because I had access to cookies, uh, set up Google ads, you know, figured it out just by clicking around a lot. And then within a few weeks, that side of the business, the online store was making more money than that delivery route. So okay, okay. Uh, yeah, I kept it for, you know, it's, I don't know, it's like going back like 11 years, <laughs> I kept it probably for like another half a year or so. Uh, while at the same time, I was building up stores that sold more and more expensive products. And wow. then maybe after, you know, call it six months, I did sell that website with the delivery business. Uh, didn't end up making a whole bunch of money on it, but I just wanted to get rid of it because my other websites focusing on more expensive products were really taking off. So maybe yeah. a little bit, but 
nothing, nothing crazy. So did you, did you get into the e-commerce side of it initially to augment the existing business? Was that your idea? Well, the idea was like, again, like I, I really did think back then that all businesses, if you wanted to start one, you needed to either be, and for online businesses specifically, I thought you needed to be, you know, some kind of super genius programmer or someone with a ton of money to invest into some, you know, programming team. And what happened is when I read that book, it, it just, I opened my eyes to like, oh, anybody could figure this out because there's basically software that helps you with it. So I just thought, okay, I have this business, this delivery route. I don't like it. I don't like sitting in traffic. You know, I don't like driving to Brooklyn. And here I have this opportunity where I could just put my time into it. And again, you know, $29 for my first month of hosting. And again, it was one of those things like, what do I have to lose? So I set that up and once it took off, like once I saw the first sale come in even, and then the next one and the next one and the next one, I was hooked because I was like, okay, now I'm sitting at my apartment in Long Beach in New York. I am watching orders come in. I have the bakery shipping these cookies and I don't have to get in this truck and drive into Brooklyn. Like this, this is what I want to do. So yeah, um, yeah it just started as an experiment that, that worked. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. So let's start getting into starting a dropship business. And I think we'll start when you, you've kind of touched on it a little bit which is this concept of high ticket drop shipping. So if you could just start by explaining what that is, as opposed to me selling a t-shirt, let's say, not right. anything wrong with that. But, but what is it that you're actually talking about here when you say high ticket drop shipping? Right. So yeah, that's, that's exactly kind of like how I transitioned into it. You know, I was selling these, these boxes of cookies for 15 bucks, 20 bucks. And then I was making per order, you know, after shipping and traffic and cost of goods sold, maybe I was making like six or $7 every time I got a sale. And I was thinking like, okay, this is great, but why can't I sell more expensive products? So instead of making, you know, six or seven bucks, I can make two or 300. So Basically, in order to do that, obviously the products would have to cost the customer more. So what I did back then, which I don't recommend doing now because this was like an outdated market research technique, but I basically went to ebay.com and I went through all the top categories and then I was searching for completed listings and I was looking for products that sold at buy it now prices that were about a thousand bucks. So things that just consistently sold around a thousand dollars. And then from there I thought, okay, if these people could sell them, why can't I? Um, back then still didn't know what drop shipping was. So I went on Google, I think I found Alibaba.com back then. And then I started to import products from China. And I was importing products that I was paying between three or $400 for. And then I was selling them at their market value, which was between you know, 800 and 1000 bucks. So that's what got me into high ticket e-commerce, just that desire to make more money per sale. And uh, after, again, a few years of running that business and bringing in dozens of containers from China to Long Beach in California, then I started to have companies reach out to my e-commerce websites. They would just you know, email us and call us and they would say, hey, we see you sell you know, desks. Do you want to sell our desks? And they basically introduced me to what dropshipping was by suppliers finding me. Interesting. Yeah, because of course, the big challenge you had there is you had all this uh, inventory that you had to, that, that you had to carry um, yes. to sell this stuff. All right. So that's how that so that's how that transitioned into, hey, let's sell our stuff and you don't have to carry the inventory, right? 
Right. So even when I was bringing those products in, you know, we had a four week lead time, at least mm. while these products were on those huge ocean freight lines, then we had to pay a fulfillment center to receive the delivery from these trucks, to unpack them, to store them, to label them, to ship them, to deal with returns, and then to ensure all of that. It was just a lot of overhead. So then once I found out that I can not only not have to deal with all that, but I can also increase the amount of products that I sell from, you know, 20 different SKUs to 2000 because I didn't have to worry about having inventory. That just was a game changer. And that's when we started to shift our focus. And within about a year, we totally stopped importing anything and only focused on drop shipping. Yeah. And, and it's either, either stuff that's made in the US or from distributors who take care of uh, inventorying stuff that they bring in from overseas. Right. Is that correct? Yeah. And typically it is made overseas. So I the see. stuff that the companies we sell for, they have, you know, we sell for different brands. So we're not selling like a private labeled thing. But uh, I'm at a, a stand up desk right now, uh, a tabletop stand up desk from a company called Varidesk. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to sell stand up desks. That's one of the company I would reach out to. And I would say, you know, I want to sell your products. This is my website. And then I would have access to their inventory that they already have in the States. But this thing's probably made, you know, I don't know where in China and India, it's made somewhere else. But I get to sell it from someone that already has it in a warehouse in the States. Yeah. Barry Desk is right down the street from me here in Coppell, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Okay. So here's where I, and so where I'd like a little bit more clarity is I confuse this type of business sometimes with just curating existing stuff, you know, an Amazon affiliate type Mm -hmm. of business. This is more than that, right, Anton? Yeah, definitely. So um, the diff- the main differences between promoting someone else's product as an affiliate, uh, well, one obviously like the the margins are higher because you actually you the money goes to you. So if I sold a desk for a thousand dollars, we get a thousand dollars in our business account. Then we pay cost of goods sold. Then we pay shipping and we pay all our expenses. But your profit margins aren't really locked in. It's basically however much you you know are willing to spend on ads and your other expenses is how much you make. Um, so that's like you know from. Pro- profit perspective, you make more per sale. But beyond that, one of the biggest differences between promoting other people's stuff as an affiliate and selling it directly is the traffic sources that become available to you. So Google, uh, Google ads, specifically Google product listing ads is one of our highest converting sources of traffic. And if you're an affiliate, you can't use that. Like you need to have your own store. So there's more benefits with how much money you make and how you're able to market your products to the world. And, and Google doesn't allow that because they, they think it's misleading to the customer because I'm actually representing somebody else's product. Is that part of it? Probably. I know they just want people that are actually, they, they, they want e-commerce stores only. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me a little bit then about how, at, at a high level, how do I begin with no experience, with no connections, mm-hmm. how I begin to find those suppliers? Yeah. So what's, uh, what's, Good to know, I guess, for anybody thinking about this is you do not find them by ever searching for dropship suppliers or anything like that. Because if you go on Google and that's what you're looking for, like dropship products or dropship suppliers, all you're going to find is basically a bunch of middlemen that say, you know, pay us X dollars a month and we'll give you access to all these products. The real suppliers, the ones you want to work with, would never charge you for access to sell their stuff and they would never call themselves dropshippers. The companies that you're looking for, are the direct brands that make the stuff you want to sell. So going back to that stand-up desk example, Mm -hmm. if I wanted to sell stand-up desks, I would go on Google and just find every 
brand of stand-up desks I could find that you know comes up anywhere in Google search results. And then the way that I would approach them is literally by picking up the phone and calling them and explaining who I am, what website I'm calling from, and let them know that I want to sell their stuff. So it's direct relationships. And, and a lot of these, if not most of these manufacturers are open to those types of relationships because it's another channel for them to, to get their product out in the market. Is that fair? Yeah, and some of them rely on it. Like, so there's there's a lot of companies that sell direct to the public and then have other retailers like us sell their stuff. But there's even more of them that only focus on making products and then using retailers like us to sell their stuff. So it. It, it's, it, it's a huge part of their business. Mm -hmm. So understanding that that's the approach and that makes sense. In other words, it's, it's not, I don't just search and, and find these things. How long do you typically see when you're helping somebody start with their first e-commerce site, their first drop shipping site, how long more or less does it take to where you're in business, you're selling? What does that typically look like? Yeah, I would say depending on how long the, the person, you know, how much technical experience they have, because it's really not difficult. But if you're starting from like, I know how to check my email and that's it, it's going to take you longer. But I would say for the average person between, you know, I would say 100 and 200 hours of effort. So okay. broken up however you would like. Yeah. Okay. And this is a lot. Uh, do you I'm assuming you see a lot of clients who do this at least initially as a side hustle? Definitely. Yeah. That, that's how most of our members do this. You know, my whole thing is really building lifestyle businesses. And you, you gave an example earlier of t-shirts, right? So there's plenty of people that make money drop shipping t-shirts and coffee mugs and socks and all these products that are inexpensive. The problem with stuff like that though, is it's very hard to be able to spend money profitably on ads. And even if you acquire a lot of customers, you have a lot of customer service to deal with. So those type of low ticket businesses are something that if you're going to do at scale, meaning like make a full-time living off it, it really takes a full-time work week, if not more. Uh, mm -hmm. Why so many of our people do this part-time is because when you're selling, you know, a $2,000 item, you might make 600 to $800 net profit per sale. So for a lot of people, if they get one sale a week, you know, they speak to one customer, they yeah. just made an extra 600 bucks like that. That's more than enough time to do again, you know, for 15 minutes a day. So that's kind of the, the strategy with what we do. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's the classic thing in business or in sales. It takes just as much effort to sell a t-shirt than it does a 2000 piece of furniture yep. uh, sometimes. Right. Um, and, and that bogs us down with, because we got to sell thousands of t-shirts, but to your point, we only got to sell X, X much smaller number of high ticket items. Yes. This is Henry Lopez, co-host of the How of Business podcast. And I invite you to schedule a free business coaching consultation with me. I welcome the opportunity to chat with you about your business goals and offer the guidance and accountability that we all need to achieve success. As an experienced small business owner, I understand the challenges you are experiencing, and often it's about helping you ask the right questions to help you make progress towards achieving your goals. I can help you get there. To find out more about my business coaching services and to schedule your free coaching session, please visit thehowofbusiness.com. Okay, so you touched on a, a bit of the technical skills. I want to elaborate a little bit about that. What, what I want to get is a little bit more on what does it take, you know, what kind of skills do I have to have for this to be a fit for me, this kind of business? Um, so if you're going to like learn, so if someone wanted my help, let's say, I, and I would say all you really need is it's 
it's hard. So it's not even a technical skill. It's more of like a mental skill of delayed gratification. Cause like I mentioned, you know, there might be a month or two months go by where you're doing all this work and you're not making any money. Um, and if you're used to like a corporate job or an hourly job, you get paid for your time. And with this, you have to be willing to do the work before you get the benefits. So, um, on the technical side, you will have to learn how to use Shopify, which is really easy. Um, but you'll have to learn that you will have to learn how to use like the Google AdWords interface, which again, I could help people with that's learnable. But what I can teach people that I've learned over the years is to have that mindset of like, I'm going to do the work because of what I'm going to get from it later. This is such a big uh, point, Anton, because I think, well, not, I think I know that this applies in regardless of what business you're starting is that ability to delay gratification or sacrifice. In this case, a lot of it is about sacrificing time, time that you might spend doing other things, but you got to spend, you know, at 10 o'clock at night, learning, researching, reading, making phone calls. Uh, that's what I often see is what keeps people from starting uh, their first business. Yeah, there's a lot of pain that people associate with just doing any kind of work. And I get it, especially if people are working, you know, eight to fives and working eight to six and they get home, then they have to put two hours into something else that they're not going to see money back from right away. Like that, that's a big reason why people are stuck places they're not happy. And again, I get it, but you got to get over that. You got to get over that. You got to be willing to put in the time and make the sacrifice. Yes. Okay, so you, you touched on it again. The thing I also think about is I create this site, but then how do I get found? You also teach people on how to use Google and other paid traffic sources to get found, right? Yes, definitely. So uh, we pretty much for, again, going back like for a decade, our highest converting source of traffic has always been Google product listing ads. And what's cool about them, like anybody could go see them for, the, for themselves, but if you just go to google.com and just type in like any product name, what you're gonna see is your normal Google search results. You're also going to see a row of actual products and it's gonna be an image of the product you searched for it's going to have the price of that product. It's going to have the store name that's selling it. And those are ads. So what we do, again, primarily is focus on buying basically the, those ads from Google for all of our product names, the brand names that we sell for, the SKU numbers that we have on our website. And what's so great about that ad type is that when someone clicks it, they already, again, have seen your product, they've seen the price, they know your store name. So it's a very qualified, uh, a very qualified click. So that's our main thing. We also do uh, spend a lot of money on Facebook ads, but that's mostly for remarketing. And then I also help people with search engine optimization, uh, kind of at an on-site level, because that definitely pays off over time and get you a bunch of uh, free sales. Yeah, I have no experience with, with the product ads in Google. Is it at a high level the same concept as the other ads? In other words, an auction type uh, yes. bid, so, well, bid type well, situation? Mm -hmm. What's a little bit different about it yep. is it, uh, it, it does, it's run through your Google ads account, but you need to also make what's called a Google Merchant Center account. Mm -hmm. That's free. But when you have that, basically it connects to your e-commerce store and it pulls in all of your products. So it'll know what your products are. And then where it's different to a traditional search text ad is that you cannot enter keywords that you want to appear for. It uses the keywords from your product pages to determine which results you should show up for. So so uh, it's very easy to get started.
automated because again, it's pretty automated, but in the long term, to get it to really perform, um, there's a lot, you know, I'm not gonna get into too much detail just for, for time and for people that haven't been in there, but we focus on negative keywords instead of uh, just regular keywords because yeah. that's the only way you can get it super targeted and get those those insane conversion rates through through Google product listing ads. Right, and what you're touching on, you, you have to have spent the time to set up that Shop Shopify page, for example, the right way with the right descriptions. Um, that's also why obviously Google doesn't allow you to do an affiliate link. Mm -hmm. It needs to be your products that you've sourced on your site. Right. Yeah. Okay. You talk a lot, since we're on this topic, you, you talk a lot about return on ad spend and, and, yes. tr and, and tracking traffic. And I, I see this as one of the big mistakes we all make as small business owners on any advertisement, but especially with online advertisement is that we don't measure it. Mm -hmm. So yep. talk to me about how kind of the different ways that you do that and why that's so important. Yeah. And I, I got to say, like you, you just mentioned it, but I, I highly encourage anybody, like even if you're spending a bunch of money on ads and it's profitable, like if you're spending a lot of money and your revenue and your profits are going up, that's great. But don't, don't wait to start tracking until things change. Um, I made that mistake very early on in business. Like I was spending money everywhere because uh, our revenue and profits kept going up. And then once it started to like level out and then go down, I didn't know what was working and what didn't. So mm -hmm. tracking is just, it's extremely important um, for everything. But the way that we do it uh, is just basically using standard U UTM tracking. So everybody that comes to our website through an ad, we know what ad they clicked uh, through Google Analytics. You know, we know where they're from. We also use a third-party tool that's called Wicked Reports. And that one integrates with our Facebook account and our Google account. And we'll track people, you know, if they first came through a Google ad, then saw a YouTube retargeting video from us, then bought on Facebook, like we'll see that journey so we can know what's profitable and where we should invest our assets. Yeah. Okay, good. So the other thing I heard you talk about in a, in a recent podcast you did was your second biggest regret. Mm -hmm. I think the first was not starling early enough. Is that right? That was your first? Yeah. Yeah. But the second one was the developing relationships early. Talk to us about that. Explain what you mean by that, if you would. Yeah. So a lot of, uh, again, like this, this business that we're in um, is really about who, who you know, what suppliers you're connected with, and even like what people you can learn from. So my first... I guess half a decade in business, I kind of operated alone from my home office, not knowing you know, that I should be going to trade shows, not knowing that I should be actively seeking communities online of like-minded people. And a lot of it was just what I learned from trial and error. And it worked out. But once I you know, started to go and actually meet people face-to-face -face, on the business side, that opened up like all kinds of like these like back doors where, you know, you can get different discounts and you can make more money on products. And then when I moved out to Thailand originally, and I met a community of like-minded entrepreneurs that opened my mind to, you know, different trap, different ways of getting traffic and, you know, things that were slightly different than I was doing. So um, relationships in the business and outside just with who your network really is, like it's a, it's a game changer. Yeah, I think that's such a, a huge takeaway, Anton. It applies to, again, any kind of business. And you're talking about, Certainly, because that would have helped you ramp up faster, would have helped you with identifying what, what you didn't know. Mm -hmm. but, but it's but also speaks to, especially with this type of business where it's online, we can hide behind the computer, right? We can hide at home either because we don't like interacting with people or we're yeah. shy or we don't want to spend the money. 
your point is, I wish I would have done that earlier. I wish I would have gotten out there earlier where the people are that I want to connect with, right? Yes. Yeah. And it's really like, you know, yeah, the, as far as the expense and even if you're not like social, because I'm, I'm definitely an introvert, but like it's still worth it because you'll find your people, you know, you'll connect with someone and even like one or one or two little things that you either pick up or one or two deals that you make, it's just so well worth it. It could change everything. And then the other point you make about uh, being around other entrepreneurs where you're going to pick up ideas and you can bounce ideas off of, I think that's huge as well. You know, that's always been a challenge for me. I home office and you can get very isolated as a business owner, as an entrepreneur, you have to interact and connect with others that are like-minded. Yeah. And I think that's why events are good. Um, there, there are, you know, when, when I was originally trying to like meet other like-minded people, I did go to the website meetup.com. And I remember going to some local like SEO and internet marketer events. And I really, I didn't click with many people at those things, but then just different conferences, um, different parts of the world, different cities, you know, it, it, it's, it's a game changer because not only do you realize you're like not alone, but it makes things more real, especially in the online world. Like if you start an online business and you always run it yourself from home, it like something changes when you, when you meet people face to face and talk about it. It, for me, at least it made it feel real. Yeah, no doubt. Okay. I, I want to backtrack a little bit because I want to make sure that we explain what drop shipping is. We've touched on it. Uh, it's not something that I'm manufacturing. It's not something that I'm inventorying. That's, those are key components, right? Mm -hmm. um, ideally, uh, and again, it doesn't have to be just USA manufacturers because someone else might, might bring that to the States for me. So I don't have to deal with that, correct? correct? Although that's not a requirement necessarily that just facilitates things. What are other, some of the other key, key components that, that makes this a drop shipping business mm -hmm. and why is it so powerful? Right. So the, the term dropshipping, it, it does get misconstrued online. If you just Google it, you're probably going to think it means, you know, selling inexpensive items from China on Facebook and then shipping them direct from China. Uh, it really is just a high level term, though, that's been around since before the internet. Uh, all it is is a way to fulfill orders when, again, you don't ever see them, you don't touch them, someone else is fulfilling orders for you. So the way it got started, as far as I could see, is with mail order catalogs, where people used to focus on making catalogs for specific industries, send them to everybody they thought would be interested. And then when people called the catalogs and said, hey, I want to order this, you know, light up fake Christmas tree, nobody <laughs> would say, okay, what's your credit card number? They would take the order and they would ship it from, they would tell, you know, whoever manufactured it to ship it. So that's drop shipping. Um, even if you went like on eBay right now and found a product that was $10 and then you listed it on Craigslist for 20, got the sale on Craigslist, had the person from eBay ship it to your customer, that's drop shipping. Uh, what we do by selling for well-established brands as retailers, then have them fulfill the orders, that's drop shipping. There's just so many different ways to, to, to do it, because again, it's a very high level term. So yeah. all it means is you're not fulfilling orders yourself. It, Anton, another component of it is, if I understand correctly, the way that you do it and teach it is that that manufacturer supplier handles most of the returns or all of the returns actually and, and service. Is that correct? Is that a key component as well? Yeah, definitely an important one. So every supplier we work with, and I use the word supplier and brand interchangeably, mm -hmm. they all have different return policies. So that's something you're agreeing to when you get approved. But by far, the majority of them have the same type of policy. And the way it works is, you know, if I ship a customer, uh, customer, if I ship a product to my customer, and the customer wants to return it, then I would go ahead and contact the 
company that, that makes it, that shipped it, and I would say, hey, Steve wants to return product ABC. They would then author a return authorization label. It would get shipped back. Steve would get a refund. I would get a refund, and that's it. So that's 95% of the time. Okay. These suppliers, is, is it realistic or explain to me how it works. And I've just started. I have no history. I've just put up my website. Are they going to work with me? It depends. So there's different tiers of suppliers. There are some that definitely won't. They're going to say, you know, if you if you reached out to them, they're going to say, come back when you have an Alexa score of over 100,000, right? To show you have traffic or come back when you're doing, you know, $100,000 or more a month in sales. So there's definitely a percentage that will be asking that of you, which is fine because you could circle back to them. Then there's another tier of suppliers that I refer to as silver suppliers that make up the majority of them. There's, there's tens of thousands of these companies that will accept you if you're new, but you know, that's assuming you say the right things kind of like if you just called them and said, Hey, I want to sell your products. And they said, where are you calling from? And you said, well, nowhere, but I'm thinking about building a website Then they won't work with you. But if you called them and said, you know, Hey, I'm calling from or Anton standuppaddleboards.com. Uh, we love your product line. It would be a great fit on our site. Uh, who can I speak to about selling your products? And if you approach the conversation the right way and you already built a website, Website, even if it only has what I call demo products on it, your odds of getting approved increase dramatically. Okay. Okay. And those are the things obviously you help people with is how to, uh -huh. how to land those first suppliers yes. and go from there. How, how do you help people decide, you know, maybe I come to you and I say, you know, I, I love this type of furniture. I have this kind of idea for this product. Do you, do you recommend you start as niched down as possible? What, what is your thoughts there? I do. The, the kind of the, as a general rule of thumb, like I say, as, especially for a first store, you should be able to find at least 20 different suppliers, so, you know, AKA brands, mm -hmm. at least 20 different brands that make the thing you want to sell and at least a hundred different products between those brands. Okay. And if you couldn't find that, then I would say, okay, you know, go up a level. And maybe if your original thing was like, I want to sell brown leather sectionals and you couldn't find enough, then maybe you want to sell leather sectionals. And then if there's not enough of them, maybe you want to sell sectionals and going up from there. But usually, yeah, the more, the more like zoomed in you go to an industry, the higher conversion rates you can get. And is it, is it similar to with other e-commerce practices where the fact that there are other sites out there, that's a good thing? In other words, there's demand for this thing that I want to sell? Uh -huh. Yeah. You, you, if you have an idea and you can't find anybody selling the thing you want to sell, that's a, that's a red flag. Um, it, that's very, very uncommon, obviously, but you do want to have competition. Uh, obviously, that means people are, you know, I, hopefully people are buying from them, but it also means you're going to see what their weaknesses are and what you could do to make your site better than theirs. So you, you want to see other people doing what you want to do. Mm -hmm. And so I, I want to come back to that point because then what that means, of course, is what I immediately would think is, my gosh, there's 50 other websites doing the same thing, kind of selling the same combination of things that I'm looking for. Why am I going to stand out? Why is anybody going to buy from me? Um, yeah. so, so give me some of that. Why is yeah. that? How do I stand out? Uh -huh. So the first thing that I would say to that, that's important is like competition for the way that we get traffic. Again, since we're reliant, like really, again, most of our money is spent with Google ads. Our competition is not about the, the, the niche keywords. So if I was selling, you know, stand up paddle boards, I don't care if there's 
50 stand-up paddleboard stores. I care about the brands in that industry and how many people are selling for those brands because there might be you know two or three of them that are on 50 different websites that everybody's competing for that you know cost per click is just crazy expensive and if that's the case then those you know two or three I might those two or three brands I might list on my store but I'm not going to actively focus on them because there's too much competition there mm. but then if there's 10 more that have you know maybe five different stores that list them then okay these are going to be the ones that I focus my resources on and then from there I'm going to look at okay out of these other five stores that are selling for these brands that I want to primarily push what are they doing that could be improved on. So are they only using like one generic stock photo? Is their description just a basic copy and paste from the manufacturer? Are they including any bonus gifts if someone buys from them? Do they have expedited shipping? So you have to really like narrow down to where your sweet spot's going to be and then dive deep into your competitor sites to see what you could do better. Yeah. Great insights. Now is, uh, is blogging about it, reviews, uh, those kind of things, does that help? Reviews definitely help as far as you know, blogging and putting out content for the majority of the time with the way we do things, the answer is no. But if you're looking to build more of a, more of a brand that does more than just, you know, try to sell uh, high ticket products in what I would call a direct response model, then it does make sense to get into making different buyers guides and, you know, different content based around your industry. But most, for most people, I don't recommend that in the beginning stages. Yeah. And that is that in part Anton because that type that approach takes a lot longer to produce results. A lot longer. It takes a lot longer. It takes a lot more money. It's not guaranteed that you're ever going to rank if you even do. You know, the return on investment is uh it's questionable. Again, if you get the results that you're out for, it's worth it. But there's just a lot easier wins earlier on. Like if you do your research the right way and you set up your ads the right way, you can literally start making sales within 24 hours of your ads going live. Whereas that other approach is like, okay, let's see what happens in six months and hopefully it worked and then we can double down on it. So yeah, yeah, that makes sense. All right. Is, is Shopify the platform right now? Definitely. Yeah. They have been for a few years. They, uh, with the amount of money they have behind it and they got a bunch of smart people, they, uh, they, they took pretty much everybody out. I, I used, like I said, I started with Yahoo stores. I've used Magento, Volusion, WooCommerce, BigCommerce. I've tried like everybody. And for, again, the type of stores we build, Shopify is hands down the winner. Okay. All right. I want to, as we, as we start to wrap it up, I want to summarize here, where would I get started? And we've touched on this throughout the conversation. Obviously part of it is identifying that idea of what I want to sell and then going through your thought process on identifying if that's the right, if I've niched down enough and then the networking, connecting with these people, finding these, as you call them, silver level suppliers, starting to make those phone calls, getting out there and meeting people. Is that kind of some of the things you would recommend to get started? Definitely. And a few other quick things to keep in mind with the product selection process, the price point has to be there but also you want to sell for different companies and you want to sell, you want to sell product types where the customers have no brand loyalty. So um, this is like an experiment people could do for themselves. But if you think, okay, I'm listening to this and I want to sell tablets. It's the example I usually give. Then you would think, okay, what tablet would I get if I was buying one? You'd probably buy an iPad or you'd buy you know, a Surface Book or a Surface tablet or an Android. And that's not good, right? Because there's brand loyalty. So if you think of something though, like, okay, I want to buy a new stand-up desk, like the example we gave earlier, there's probably not a company name that just pops into your head right away. Like, oh, I need that one. So you want to also focus on products where there's no brand loyalty. And from there, it's just a, it's a research game. Yeah. Great point. Great point. Great tips. All right, summarize for us the services, the programs that you currently offer clients. 
Uh, yeah, it's basically two different options. One is all of our training materials, you know, 40 hours plus of over the shoulder training of how to do everything from product selection to market research, to web design, to getting approved, to optimizing for conversions, to getting traffic, just the whole process. Then our other service and program is all of that training along with a, uh, an option where we build your store for you. We set up your social media pages for you. So kind of like a done with you option. Uh, they both include our custom Shopify theme, our Shopify app, and also our communities, which uh, have grown pretty big over the years. Who's uh, described for me an ideal client for you? Um, yeah, anybody that, again, has drive and the motivation to, to make this work. I wanna always have 100% of my people get the results that I want for them, which is to own a profitable semi-automated store. And again, I think the biggest thing is being able to delay that gratification. So whoever is willing to do that, they're perfect. Typically, price-wise, if I invest in your program, more or less, when, when am I kind of seeing that back? Is it years out? Is it, I suspect it's not, but tell me a little bit about that. The yeah. investment I'm going to make, when should I realize that back? Yeah, so obviously, you know, can't make any official income claims, but um, I would say if you are doing this the way that I teach you how to do it, you are making, let's just even go on the low end, $200 per sale. And if you set this up where you're making, you know, four sales a week, you're making 800 bucks a week, you, you should be able to get to that point within a month. So a couple months, Payback time, again, not guaranteed. Can't yeah. make any claims, but yeah. No, that's fantastic. I mean, yeah. even, even if it was six months, that's yeah. still a tremendous return on that investment to get educated on how to do this the right way. You'll end up spending four times that trying to figure this out on your own. Oh, yeah. I mean, th this is literally what took me since 2007, like where we're at now with our business. And I'm not one to ever think I know it all. So I'm literally learning something new every day and uh, sharing it. So yeah, this is 11 years in the making, 12 fantastic. years. Yep. Anton, what do you what do you enjoy? What is one of the things you enjoy most about being an entrepreneur, about being your own boss? Yeah, I just I, I enjoy everything about building the businesses. I like that's what's fun for me. It's not about the products we sell. Um, you know, we obviously we focus on quality products to keep our customers happy and to grow our businesses. But I enjoy the process of having an idea of something I want to create or something I want to sell, and then that whole process from seeing the website come together to getting approved with the people I want to get approved with, to setting up a new ad account, to watching it become profitable, to seeing what's not working and being able to fix that. Like I see it all as a big game, and I, I love everything about it. The whole process. And now you gotta you get to do it on a multiplied basis with all of your clients. Yep, yep. It's all good. Excellent. All right. We've obviously talked about the four hour work week. Is there another book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Sure. So one book that um I don't know how rel like how relevant it is to what we've been talking about, but one book I love and I think every entrepreneur should read is called uh, Ready Fire Aim. It's by uh, Michael Masterson. And uh, it just goes through like different phases of business growth, talks about different marketing channels, different product prices, and um, just different ways to to take a business from zero to nine figures from starting literally from zero to 100K. And uh, yeah, Ready Fire Aim. Great book. It also touches a lot on, on as the, the title alludes to, not overanalyzing thing and mm -hmm. instead, you know, moving forward by failing fast kind of thing. Is that, has that always been your approach to business, you think? Oh, 100%. And this is every entrepreneur I know. I mean, we've all failed so many times, but the, yeah, you do, do it as fast as possible and then, you know, iterate on it and make it better. But that's what business is. That's part of that game I'm talking about. Like, yeah, put it, put it together, see what could be improved and do that. Yeah, agreed. 
All right. What's one thing you want us to take away from the conversation we had on starting a dropship business? Um, yeah, definitely that it is possible, but don't get pulled into the hype that this is one of the things that, you know, click a few buttons and you're going to make all this money. It is a real business. If you're going to do it the right way, it's something that can provide you with a job replacing income or a lot more than that. But again, treat it like a real business, respect it like it's a real business and put in the work. And yeah, you could pretty much get whatever you want out of it. Wonderful. Where does, where do you want us to go online to find out more? Uh, I have everything linked off of dropshiplifestyle.com. So that would be the best. It's got our YouTube and all the blog and everything there. Wonderful. And we'll have a link to that on the show notes page, as well as a link to the books at thehowabusiness.com. Anton, this was a great conversation. We go on for hours. Uh, I've learned quite a bit. Thanks for taking the time to be with us. Thanks for sharing and uh, for being with us today. Yeah, thank you, Henry. That was fun. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. You've been listening to another episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Anton Crayley. And we release new episodes every Monday morning on iTunes, Stitcher, and at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.